0: Welcome, everyone. This is our outside-in music, I guess, coffee hour, midday chat uh, on Sunday. It's Sunday, April, what day is it? 5th. April 5th. <laughs> and I'm excited to be here with Andy Bianco, Pete Anderson, Will Anderson, Nicholas Krolak, and Alan Blanchard. And we're going to just kind of talk about what people are up to, how things are. So why don't we, let's go around and let everybody introduce themselves. Um, and give five reasons why they love Rochester. No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> uh, let's just go around. Everybody can introduce themselves to let, let us know where you're calling from and uh, what's happening, kind of what's happening where you are. So let's start with Andy.
1: Thanks, Nick. Hello, everybody. My name is Andy Bianco. I'm a professional performing guitarist, composer, and jazz artist based out of Brooklyn. And um, I'm here... Promoting my latest release on Outside In Records, actually, Next Level imprint, which is called NYC Stories. It's available on all platforms and it features myself on guitar, Glenn White, Wayne Scott, Nathan Peck, Paul Wells, Wayne Smith Jr., and Alan Mednard. And um, that's my main focus. Um, I just got a nice review in the New York City Jazz record last week, which I'm happy about. The first digital only. Edition of the jazz record, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's very much uh, related to what's going on with the pandemic and just what we're all dealing with. So it's great to meet all of you, and um, I'm looking forward to this. I hope we're all having a nice Sunday thus far, and excited to get this rolling.
2: Cool, Pete. Yeah, okay. I'm uh, I'm Pete Anderson here, uh, and happy to be part of the Outside In family. Um, my brother and I. Will uh, are releasing a record um, later this month uh, called featuring Jimmy Cobb uh, with Dave Wong and Jed Patton. And my five favorite things about Rochester <laughs> <laughs> are <laughs> garbage plate, <laughs> Pop Shop Records, Wow, um, the Eastman School. It's a good, um, good list so far. As a whole. The, lot, the music library at the Eastman School Ooh, is okay. one of the best in the country. So, like, LPs, CDs, um, just, like, the biggest jazz library you've ever seen. And um, because, Nick, because you're my boss, and you're the uh, king of outside music, I'm going to say that my fifth favorite thing about Rochester is Nick Finzer. Oh, you're so nice. Sweet. <laughs> so sweet. Uh,
0: well,
3: That was so heartwarming. (laughs) Um, So my name's Will Anderson. Um, I'm a saxophonist, uh, clarinetist, and flautist, or flutist, however you prefer. Um, And uh, this is my second quarantine chat with Outside In and Nick Finzer. And um, I I had a lot of fun uh, at the last one. So I'm looking forward to some crazy discussion this afternoon um so uh i'm trying to uh have a productive time this month and next month because all of my performances for the foreseeable future have been canceled pretty much so i think we're all trying to um stay positive and uh i'm looking forward to hanging out with these guys because some of them i haven't met in person so
4: Great, and how about Nicholas? Hey, Everybody, my name is Nicholas Krolak. I'm calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Bassist, composer, and podcaster. And uh, I have an album coming out on Outside In Next Level uh, at the end of May called "Voice Equals Power." And uh, I've—I don't think I've ever been to Rochester. (laughs) I think about it. It's on the list. Note (laughs) it for Rochester.
5: And Alan? Um, my name's Alan Blanchard. Yeah, you know, I worked with Nick for a couple of years now on outside in music um, based out of Nashville, Play trumpet. Um, I mean, Rochester's a strong okay. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: but you actually went this year though, just in time. I did, pre- I did. I went pre-virus. for uh,
5: Martin Luther King weekend and they got like nine inches of snow while I was there.
0: Mm-hmm. that's normal though that's regular
5: yeah i mean it was cool i like snow i had no issue with it um they were obviously unfazed yeah um but it was it was cool you know i haven't really seen snow like that ever i don't think so
0: um so i guess let's just give people like a little bit of an update an idea of what kind of what's going on everybody's kind of in a different location um about like what's happening with kind of where they are what it looks like what if you what it feels like, uh, it feels like finally to me this week. I'm in um, I'm in Texas, outside outside of Dallas, um, and people seem like maybe they're starting to actually take it seriously here a little bit. Things of people are not out and about as much, and um, which is a good thing to, from my perspective as hoping to move on with life. Uh, it seemed like people were really like resisting for a long time here at least, and not not really taking it seriously. Maybe I'm wrong but uh, that's how it felt. But then this week I found out a couple of my students uh, actually tested positive. So it's kind of coming closer and closer to home. And uh, yeah, just this morning, got another text about another one that tested positive and he's had pretty bad flu and pneumonia for like 11 days. So hmm. hopefully wow. he feels better soon, but um, it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, how's, uh, how are things, let's see, Andy's in Brooklyn, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. How are things? So, going? well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been, I mean, I'm doing the online teaching as well as I'm sure we all are. I haven't had any students, thankfully, who've gotten sick. Um, I don't know anyone personally just yet that's gotten sick, but you know, it's it's definitely people are staying in here. Um, I'm using the time to work on a lot of newer trio arrangements for my guitar trio stuff, with original tunes of mine, and Um, you know, just different standards and stuff that I like to do. And I've been taking this time to just kind of um, start to assimilate some of the things that I've been inspired by from various players around town and that I've wanted to do uh, to sort of get it into my trio arrangements of guitar and stuff like that. I also think it's a really good time for contemplation. I've been doing a lot of reading, stuff like that. Uh, But I'm grateful to be doing the online teaching thing. Um, You know, when I go outside, I mean, I, I go out a couple times a week maybe more than that to grocery shopping and to go running. But, um, you know, everyone really you see for the most part now is wearing a mask. Um, I just started. So my sister is a reporter in San Diego and she does a lot of coverage with rush fires and the wildfires. So she had an N95 mask that she sent me. So now it's like when I go to the store, I'm rocking this N95 mask, which is, it's pretty intense, but you know and, and I'm wearing gloves, which I think is just crazy, but that's what they're saying to do because we have like close to I, I haven't checked the latest count, but close to a hundred thousand infection, close to a hundred thousand cases, sorry, in, in New York now so around there, probably a lot more. So yeah, it's definitely intense, um, but I'm happy to see that you know in large part, it seems like people are taking the social distancing measures seriously enough, and I think that's vital that we do that as a collective to get through this.
0: For sure. For sure. And how about in Manhattan? I know that's where Will is. Yeah. You know Manhattan too?
3: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think people are pretty cautious from what I can see. Even, um, you know, when I go out to go on a walk or run, everyone's really trying to stay six feet away. Um, and uh, you, pretty much everyone's uh, wearing a mask as well. Um, but I, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your students, Nick. Um,
1: yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that.
3: Actually, we, my my brother and I have family in Dallas. Actually, our our sister and brother-in-law and her two kids live in Dallas, mm-hmm. and uh, our parents relocated in Dallas um, earlier this year. Oh wow! And um, our our dad actually um, contracted COVID. Oh wow! Um, but he seems he seems to be okay. It's kind of like a mild. Blue or cold um, so uh, we'll hope for the best it's it's scary but I think from what I hear it's people are reacting to it differently so some people don't yeah. even have any symptoms So um, right. I think that honestly I think it's like the more people that are positive it's almost like good news because it means that it's not as deadly as we might think it would be um, so in my mind, you know, if, if half the country already has this, it's almost like good news because mm-hmm. it means that a lot of us are, will develop an immunity from it. Um, but
0: Hopefully.
3: yeah, exactly. And I hope
1: your dad gets better soon.
3: Yeah. Soon yeah. So. Yeah. I'm just, uh, checking up on him and, uh, making sure, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem uh really bad he's he's already had it for two weeks so oh, wow. um that's the doctors say that's like a good a good sign if you have if you've been okay for two weeks
0: mm-hmm. wow and, and nicholas what's what's been going on in uh in philly
4: um uh, philly has had a lot less uh in numbers than new york uh i think in my zip code last time i checked there was like 20 confirmed cases uh, so, but everyone's uh, going through a lot of the protocols. Everyone's wearing masks and such. And um, you don't see too many people outside, but uh, I live right uh, near a, a really great park system called the Wissahickon. So I've been going there, running, hiking, rock climbing, and uh, not too many people have been out. So it's been um, been pretty fun uh, for me in that regard. And I'm just trying to use the time to write a lot more and reflect and uh, and listen.
0: Nice, nice. Um, and Alan, what's happening in uh, Nashville?
5: Uh, well, you know, as someone that was hitting the gym four or five times a day, uh, on some. Uh, no, I'm kidding. You know, it's 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 finally gotten quiet here. Um, there was a while where kind of like the bars in downtown were kind of against it. Um, but that was, I mean, maybe two weeks ago and then they finally like the mayor gave out the order and everything shut down. Um, but we have Vanderbilt here, which is like a really big, uh, medical research hospital. And supposedly they're doing a lot of, uh, testing and everything like Dolly Parton just donated a million dollars towards it. And like a lot of the, the country scene and whatnot is getting behind it, which is cool. But I mean, there's not, many people outside grocery store, you know, some people hitting up drive through and whatnot, but that's really it. So they seem to being, uh, somewhat serious here, which is cool. You know, all, all for it, not no partying on beaches or, or anything like that.
0: <laughs> There's no beaches in Nashville.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we can hope Florida is going to get there one of these days.
0: <laughs> Someday I have my doubts.
5: Yeah. it's, it's <laughs>
0: tough. <laughs> um, so, well, since this is a you know a coffee hour after all, uh, I was thinking that I was wondering if <clears throat> people had any thoughts about if there's any. I know it's usually in other chats we've asked the question like, who do you want to be quarantined with? What jazz musician would you want to be quarantined with? And that's kind of an extreme question, and so I was trying to re- reframe the question. And I was <laughs> thinking about you know like who is there a jazz musician that you would love uh, live or dead? Uh, that you would love and it doesn't have to be a jazz musician, any musician or any thinker any person really that you would want to be able to like have coffee with and meaning just like who would be someone that you'd love to have like an interesting conversation with and like who, why would you wanna to talk to them? What would you wanna to talk to them about? And uh, while you're thinking, I can share mine. And I think uh, as a trombonist, maybe I'm a little biased but I would always have really loved to be able to sit down and talk with JJ Johnson, um, not only just about playing trombone and jazz and stuff, but he was just like a really thoughtful person. When I listen to interviews with him, he's very articulate speaker and um, a great arranger, and all that. He's just like kind of a a Renaissance musician. But he also, when I hear stories about how his personality was, it kind of perplexes me. It just seems like he'd never f- quite fit into the um, like, jazz musician stereotype of the time mm. uh, to me. But so anyway, that would be someone I would like really love to sit down and have coffee with, not be quarantined with, but just sit, to, you know, to be able to have an hour to sit down and like really talk about some interesting things. Cause I feel like he would be, you know, a pretty pretty well versed conversationalist and it would be a, an interesting, uh, be an interesting time at least. So does it, <clears throat> who, who else has somebody that they really would love to get coffee with?
4: Um, my, my, uh, I, I would like to uh, have two answers to this question. Um, one is that, um, I love hanging out with Dave Wong and I don't get enough time to hang out with him and I miss getting coffee with him. Um, when I studied with him at Temple. So, uh, um, you mentioned, uh, Dave, uh, a little bit before and that made me think of that, but, um, my, Other pick would be Shirley Scott, because she was um, um, a huge figure in the uh, Philly scene. And I feel like so much of the knowledge that has passed through the scene has has, uh, originated with her. And I never got to meet her. So I would really like to have uh, just hung out with her a little bit and hear what she had to say.
0: Did she live in Philly like the whole time during her career or did she...
4: Uh, I'm not super sure um, I believe so, but I, I'm not positive about that but I, you just hear all the stories from all the all the people uh the generation of me and you know you listen to our records and I'm like man oh so so good but you know b- before my time
3: sure sure so when, when did you graduate from temple?
4: Um, I did my masters at temple in two thousand. 2000- 15 i graduated okay with cool. my master's i think it was 2015 or 16. nice
3: yeah that's that's a great program
4: yeah i i i dig it a lot can't i, I recommend it very highly i was in the the first class for their masters of jazz performance program mm. okay and was we were, we were the guinea pigs for it which was really fun
3: cool <laughs> Yeah, know I, I played a gig um with this barry player I'm, I'm i'm his name is escaping me but
4: josh lee josh lee yeah
3: yeah, yeah josh yeah yeah
4: um, he's the man Josh's great
3: yeah he's awesome um so i was just rapping with him about the program and it sounds like he's doing well he, he said he's uh directing a big band at temple for agers. is that what yeah they're...
4: yeah temple has like I, I don't even know how many big bands they have now, but they have two community big bands. Cool. I think they have three or four student big bands, and I think it's two community big bands now. Yeah, nice.
3: Do you do? You, are you involved with that at all? I'm not. No. Okay. Cool, man. Yeah, I saw Terrell um, about a month ago um, in Maryland at a jazz festival, and he was he was holding court with all the trumpet players and talking about his kind of his life story of how he was a trumpet player but then kind of quit and mm-hmm. went into computers or mathematics or something and then and then he had kind of a a, a revelation when he met Winton and yep. Winton kind of got him back into music. Um,
4: yeah, it was all because he had a, a a teacher that was uh, trying to change his embouchure
5: Yeah, because right. because of the off-center plane. Yeah. hmm
4: Yeah, and um, yeah, just had him on the on on my podcast, and we got oh, got cool. into all that stuff. Um, nice. He was actually the first person I reached out to, when I started the podcast, and it only took me a year and a half to actually, you know, <laughs> solidify a, a a time that worked for the both of us. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> but. Yeah. But yeah, Terrell's the man.
0: Wait, so Nicholas, tell us about your podcast. What, what's going on with that?
4: Um, it's called the Voice Equals Power podcast. Um, and it is uh, usually centered around the Philly scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's long form interviews with uh, people who are just making making stuff happen. And uh, my goal is to um, kind of parse out what makes their artistic voice their artistic voice and what Mm -hmm. led to that and uh it's not only musicians that i interview uh i had uh lydia Liebman on the show oh cool um and uh willard jenkins from from the dc jazz fest Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to get get at all people who make jazz happen you know it's not just the players that make jazz happen uh so i started about a year and a half ago And since the quarantine, I've been trying to step up my output since I have more time. And I also see it as a kind of a service to the community to be putting out stuff for um, people to dig.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, So, Will, who who would you like to have coffee with?
3: Oh, man. Well... I guess the first thing that came to mind, uh, as far as, you know, having someone in the apartment during the quarantine is cause I'm desperate to play. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a piano player cause I have a keyboard here. And so I was thinking about either Nat King Cole or Hank Jones would be awesome. Mm. um, I think their 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 style kind of lends itself to like duo playing without a without a bass player mm, or without sure. a drummer. Mm-hmm. And um I just I love both of their playing. They they know like every tune and they'd be great to chat about, you know, playing with, with Charlie Parker and Lester Young and uh who's who in jazz. So both of those guys would be a, a dream to like to just play duo with and hang out. So those were the first two names that came to mind for me.
0: Nice. Andy? I mean, nothing
3: against, you know, two trombones hey. you and you and JJ. <laughs> hey. no, always, you somebody
0: know. always with the trombone jokes. Can't escape. That wasn't awesome. even
3: a joke. You see, you can just say the word trombone <laughs> and then people laugh.
0: <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. I don't I guess we're just a comical, a comical bunch. What are you guys
5: gonna get an emoji on, like an Apple emoji?
0: I don't know. People just use the (laughs) paperclip. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Because trombone. Well, paperclip in Spanish is trombone, without an e. So people use the paperclip. Wow.
3: All right. There you go. Didn't even know that. I just thought they (laughs) were insider (laughs) knowledge. It's nice.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Random. Random aside there. It's uh, a Andy. great fact. Uh, and who, who do you want to get coffee with?
1: Well, I like the fact that uh, you know we're 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 choosing two, which just makes it easier for me. Uh, um, but uh, I think I I'll definitely I'll go with what uh, I said last week. I mean, even though we're not exactly doing quarantine with coffee with means you know we can go out. Yeah, yeah. I get or I guess we can't go out, so we have coffee at our place. But I would say. John Coltrane, once again, because um, you know, I, I just, I'd love to be able to discuss music, improvisation, compositions. I'd love to be able to see if he would look at my compositions, at my approach to improv and, and see what he said, and just to talk to him about that. And I'm also fascinated with his, you know, his approach to spirituality and, and his whole sort of path. And um, I've always felt there's just a tremendous uh, emotional connection uh, that he can make when through his music, so that would be one. That's that would be the first one. More as a composer, jazz musician, and improviser, and then as a guitar player, um, I would like to have coffee with Prince, um, oh. and I would like to talk to him about my guitar playing. You know what he thinks about it. What he like. What he hear. Like you know, I think that that would be really great. And just to talk to him about things like stage presence. Um, yeah, uh, you know your 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 persona on stage, and 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 just sort of the, you know the the uh, elusiveness that he always has, and how how you can sort of communicate use that to communicate with broader audiences. So I think those two, um, for sure, I'd love to have coffee with yeah.
0: Yeah, that's kind of an interesting thought and question as you apply it to like being a whatever a jazz musician or jazz artist on stage like developing your persona or developing your stage presence, like you're saying, and some musicians sure. like Terrell, what we were just talking about has amazing, just like, I don't know. Some people have that thing where it's like larger than life. And then yeah. some, some people are more like, uh, I don't know, like they want to be like miles and just like not talk to anybody and turn their back to the mm. audience and all of that. So mm. what, <clears throat> I'm wondering what, how have you guys thought about developing your stage presences, presences? Presence on stage. And what, like, do you have anyone that you look up to in that regard? I've been thinking about it. I just got done. Well, cut, cut, short, got cut in half my album release tour. And so whenever I'm, you know, leading my, my group and trying to do something, I'm always thinking about, you know, how I can better present, you know, the band and present the music. And I know, I know Pete and Will, you guys tour a ton with your group and, I know you guys both speak very well, but I'm wondering other than Prince and other than like, how do, how should we be thinking about that as jazz artists from, from your perspective, all your perspectives?
5: I mean, I think it's, it's incredibly important. Uh, And it kind of like actually tied in directly to who like, I would think about getting coffee with. It would either be like Clark Terry or uh, McBride, you know, and both people that I think have like a very, um warm persona, like a really big stage presence and and I think it's it's so important to to be able to do that and and connect with an audience and just um be really personable up there you know, maybe not as extreme as like Eddie Harris <laughs> uh, but I like I love what Eddie Harris does, you know, and it's just I think as soon as you get more it's no shame to like miles you know or anyone like that who just wants to focus on, that and, and play. And, and that's what it's there for. But, you know, the, I think the more that you can talk and, and make jokes and, and uh, engage with an audience, it's just going to be the better um, response in general. And it might help them make a more um, might help them connect more to your music or, or be more uh, in, involved in what's going on and, and everything, you know, it's just like at the end of the day, we're just entertainers like as bad as that might come across to people or or if there might be a negative connotation with it, like all we're trying to do is, is give out our message or or whatever you want to call it and, and entertain, you know, uh, let people forget about what they're doing for a moment and and enjoy themselves. So I don't know. that's, That's my perspective. I know some people have very differing perspectives, which is cool. Um, but it's kind of been the the way that I viewed it, and I think something that you have to shed, like Andy was talking, about, like you do. There are some people that are natural at it, but other people, like you, like you got to practice how to do that because they're just not used to it or, or able to flip that switch. Like you feel weird, you know, like if you've never acted before or anything.
3: Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think I think um, a lot of times when I go out to see shows, not only do I learn about the music, but I learn about kind of the the art of putting on a show um as far as presence or it's like putting together a a set of music that's going to work really well with the audience or it's how the band leader introduces the musicians or how he features them or um, how he or she uses the stage effectively Um, you know maybe the band leader steps off the stage for 20 minutes and features the, the rhythm section or something like that. Um, I think it's all really crucial to giving the audience um, kind of a captivating experience because um, I agree with Alan completely. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're in show business and it's, and that it, we're trying to entertain the audience and within that we're trying to um, kind of, make the music as sophisticated as possible without selling out or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say two guys that I'd say I've learned from the most as far as stage presence and communicating with the audience, um, and connecting with people. Uh, one would be Wynton Marsalis. Mm. And two would be Lauren Schoenberg. Um, mm. uh, I mean, obviously, you guys have all seen Winton play. So that might be kind of self-explanatory, but um, yeah, to me, Lauren is just, he's a master. He's not only a a great musician, but um, he's good at fundraising. He's good at um, talking to people about the importance of jazz um, and good at, great at talking about jazz history and why what we're doing is so important. Um, So I think the, the art of kind of communicating with people and explaining why we love the music so much without making it sound preachy on the stage and keeping it a hundred percent entertainment all the time is something that I strive to do. That's a great point. Yeah, when,
4: when I first started uh, band leading, which really wasn't that long ago, maybe like two years ago. Um, going back to what Alan said about having to shed it, like I had to write down all my banter totally. and like when when in the set to talk and like what story to tell. And because it was just too much stuff for me to think about at the time. Uh, just in the moment, I would just freeze up. So it took me a minute to uh, do that. But shedding it is absolutely uh, necessary. It was for me. I guess some people could just do it, but I couldn't. And then, I, going with all with what you were all, all saying about um, us entertaining the audience, which I completely agree with, uh, I th- I think it's very important to think about what you want the audience to leave with uh, before the show. But before you even come up with the set list, before you come up with like like what kind of feeling do you want them to leave with? I think that's super important to have them leave with something that uh they didn't have before they they got there
0: that's a good point um those are all good points yeah and i'm glad to hear that i'm not the only one that writes it down (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely yeah yeah, i i agree with
3: i agree with nicholas about that um sorry did i cut you off nick no no go ahead yeah i i i agree i think it's it's almost like um learning how to improvise on your instrument, you know, when you're playing in high school or something
1: mm-hmm.
3: may, like maybe your first couple solos, you have to write them out or you have to like plan something out. And then eventually over time, you don't need to do that anymore because you have so much vocabulary that you can just at the spur of the moment, let it go. And I think the same thing goes for um, for emceeing your own concert, you know, you, um, in the beginning, the first couple years of band leading, maybe you have to like really think about it. Um, and then after a while, I think, uh, at least from my experience, um, I've gotten more comfortable with what I'm presenting and, and kind of feeling out the audience that you can just kind of improvise it. So. Right. Right.
0: That's a good point. Definitely.
5: I think teaching helps a lot too, because there's like the dynamic of, you know, when you're leading a band, generally at least you got one friend up there you know so you can like banter or or whatnot back and forth and that kind of helps but for me it kind of it switched a little bit when I had to like actually teach a class and teach a big band and then you're having to band lead from like that perspective and talking in front of a band who are not like you guys are friends and you're in your cordial but like it's that, that relationship of like teacher student and you can't like not as it's not the type same type of jokes you'd be making or the same type of like small talk you'd be doing maybe in between a gig and that's when you kind of learn to shed like the balance between it, you know, how to be informative and how to also be lighthearted and, and whatnot in between. So I don't know, that's been a good experience because there's been other gigs that you can go to where it turns maybe like, it's a very fine line between too casual where it's not coming off as a gig or like a session gone wrong, maybe. Right. Versus mm-hmm. uh, a, a band leader that knows how to have fun, you know. It's not like it's Sinatra off of like Sinatra at the Sands, who's like cracking jokes and it's very non-whimsical and and just everything. Um, versus that session that maybe like, why are we talking six minutes in between each tune, you know? Sure. So I don't. It's tough though. It's it's not easy.
0: Yeah, it goes back to Prince though. Just command that whole the whole stage and a totally different thing.
5: Yeah.
4: Did you all ever hear that? The, I think it's a Nora Jones story about, about Prince. Probably not.
5: Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, it was um,
4: after, after he passed uh, on NPR, there was a remembrance of him and I'm pretty sure it was Nora Jones. Maybe it wasn't, but I think it was. Uh, that's what my memory says. And she was talking about how uh when she was starting off, one of her first big tours was opening up for Prince, you know, and after the show, uh, Prince invited her to the after party. And she goes, great. So they go they go out, they have, have a couple of drinks. And then Prince goes up to her says, Do you want to go see the, the video, come back with us and watch the video? And she had no idea what they're talking about. So and they went back to the, I guess their hotel or whatever. And They watched the video of the performance, and all we're all taking notes about like this could be better, that could be better. This was like out of whatever, and it was all stage uh, presence issues. So this was like Prince at the top of his game, still picking apart all those things, just trying to make it that much better, that Mm -hmm. much better. And she like really learned a lot about that, and that makes me think about you know we record ourselves playing all the time and listen back for all the things that could be better but maybe we should be doing you know video and seeing what our presentation is like and making that a little bit better each time
0: yeah sure um you know we we started touching on a little bit about teaching and there was actually a question that came in it's a live stream so there are people that are watching and somebody asking questions so there's a This person, his name's Brandon, he's a student, well, recently graduated student from from Eastman, actually. Uh, He said, if I might ask a question to everyone, how has pivoting to online teaching been and how do you address the challenges associated with online teaching versus in-person, i.e. playing together, lack of sound clarity, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how much online teaching you all are doing, but uh, I'm doing a lot because all of our university teaching is on. And so uh, investing in more equipment has been good, making sure my computer's plugged right into the uh, the modem and not using Wi-Fi has been better, you know. Um, but as someone who has been doing Skype lessons for, you know, a while, you know, I think you have to approach the lesson with, I don't know what you guys think, but I think you have to approach the lesson with kind of a totally different uh, approach it's kind of like a totally it's like a different type of lesson because of the limitations and that doesn't mean that you can't be equally as effective with with those limitations um, just in terms of, I feel like it's way more on the student to to have things prepared to have a more variety of things prepared and to be able to take you know more cr- criticism or constructive criticism um, because you can't do those things like in my lessons I always love to play together and duets and play tunes and trade back and forth and all that kind of stuff, but you can't do any of that. So for me, I transition kind of everything to be more about, you know, it's got to be kind of a little bit more assignment based and they have to really kind of go through and like do more things between each lesson because there's less time to just like sit around and play and talk about stuff. So I find that actually you can get a lot more stuff done when you're, when you approach it that way, rather than just complaining about, Oh, the internet section. The, the internet sucks, and I can't hear you. And blah 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 blah. It's like, well, you know that you're not going to be able to assess sound quality necessarily. So let's talk about some other things. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? I just kind of took it over there. But
1: I mean, in terms of, um, it's a really really great question. Um, you know, I in terms of pros of it, I really like the flexibility with, you know, a lot of my students where I would make house calls and travel into Manhattan um, and. That really just, it relaxes a lot of the scheduling restrictions that were, you know, prior to the online thing, quite an obstacle. Um, so that's huge, you know, the, this, the, the flexibility of the schedule. Another thing, because the environment, it's like, you know, I'm in my apartment, the students are in their home or, or their apartment. You know, they can be wearing pajamas or there's just, there's a comfort there and it creates a more relaxing vibe and I'm all about that. Um, I want my students and I want the same thing, you know, when I'm on the band center or whatever, I want everyone that's in my vicinity, I want them to feel as comfortable and as relaxed as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's another uh, pro about the online thing, you know, your students, they can be relaxed at home, they don't have to travel, they don't have to deal with the subway or taking a cab or an Uber to the lesson or to my place or to a a a neutral studio um, location. So that is is really great. Um, In terms of the cons, you know, for example, one of my students, uh, you know, like in terms of a company, at least, you know, I'm using Skype and I'm using FaceTime. And the main reason why is just another thing that I like to do as a teacher. I like to make it as easy as possible for my students to study with me. You know, I want to provide them like everything that they need. I don't like to necessarily have them go out and buy something else. Like everything that they need, I, I send them, they get it for me. I just that's just how I like to do it. I like to make it as easy as possible. So rather than be like, okay, you need to download this software, I see with what I see whatever they have, and if they have Skype or FaceTime, I, I try to just cater to what they have and make it easier for them. Having said that, um, I found latency issues with um, uh, Skype has been a difficult when I want to accompany one of my students, a jazz guitar student or something like that. So I've just found other ways to sort of work around that. Um, which is which has worked, um, you know. And so, so that's been definitely a con with that. And then the other thing is, I mean, I'm very hands-on. Like, I like to be able to literally show the students, like, you know, this is how my hand looks. Like, your hand should look like this on the guitar or whatever. Like, I want to give them as many options as I can. And obviously, clearly now, hands-on is not a good idea because we're in a pandemic. So that, I would say, is a con, too. Um, but overall, I, I think that the online thing it's been great and i enjoy it
2: so, yeah I'll, I'll chime in here i do think um you know as as technology improves i think a lot of the things that we're experiencing and consider cons are going to really go away so I mean, yeah. yeah i mean you just imagine you know when, when we used to use like dial-up phones and call long distance and there was like you know all sorts of white noise on the phone. I mean, just imagine if you took full adva- advantage of the current technology. If you had an expensive camera and you know use an external microphone with your computer, it sounds like most are on our computers. Nick, you're using a camera, correct?
0: No, this is my computer camera.
2: Really? Okay. Well, um, whatever um, you know, the the uh, the picture looks quite good from what I'm seeing um, and, I, and I and I know that you know the, the more expensive equipment you get um, you know the sound quality is better the video the better internet connection you have these can all vastly improve the quality of the lesson for the student mm-hmm. um, and I think the more um, you know the years that go by and the more we invest in, in our kind of um, hardware um, it can actually make it a much better experience for the student um it's it's a big thing because if you're a great teacher and you know what to say but you're using um poor technology to the lesson it's it's uh it's like a
1: big downfall it's a great point peter
2: yeah yeah
3: i was just gonna ask um andy so do, do you accompany your students when you put, when you give lessons or are you able to do that
1: are you talking about online or you mean yeah. just in general or uh,
3: yeah, I'm talking about online.
1: So, I mean, it really depends. Um, as I said, the, the one student that I have that I was sort of trying to accompany him, but then I basically had him be responsible for supporting himself in terms of the form of the song. Um, and just in terms of the time, and the temple, because he actually had a good sense of time, good feel, a good sense of the form. So okay. I ended up sort of doing that. But um, yeah, with the software that he has, he was having actually more issues on his end um, using Skype, and then I think I really only dealt with the latency issues with him. But um, I mean, yeah, clearly, I, I mean, as I, I mean, Zoom is definitely much better for that.
3: So right, but I mean, I just want to make sure, like, the consensus among like all of us mm-hmm. is pretty much that like you can't really play with the student like in real time. Is that does everyone agree with that,
1: or? I mean, I, I've just found that with Skype and with FaceTime, but, and again, in that instance, I think it had to do a lot with just sort of his connection, his internet connection, so, but I, I don't know about Zoom. I, I, I mean, Nick,
3: like, Nick, do you ever, have you ever successful, can you, like, no. play with them? Yeah, no. it's not.
1: Yeah, you, know, you
0: can't do it
3: with no, Zoom it's, either. It's, or, no, there's, uh, there's always latency. latency? Yeah, yeah, there's always latency. Yeah, right.
0: It's either on I mean, my end or their end or the combination of both ends, you know? Right.
5: Now, I mean, I have, uh, you know, so I've been trying to use the time to get, like develop a lot more independence and self-reliance in students and like working on um, developing routines and making sure that like they are practicing uh, intelligently and whatnot. But I don't know. I mean, Nick, I don't know if you thought about this stuff at all. Uh, Like in the Arbids book, there's tons of like duets that I would always do with my students and whatnot. Uh, And I've sent out a couple of recordings to some people where it's like, I'll play the top line and I'll have a metronome on. And I'll play the bottom line and I have a metronome on so that they can go kind of back and forth um, and let them do it because a lot of the students uh, need some like reference of pitch, you know. And I'm sure it's the same thing with saxophone, you know, like let me hear what a good saxophone sounds like so that I can try and, and recreate it. And it's not, especially with younger students, it's not like you can always depend on them to be listening uh, as, no, as enough as we would like them to. Um, but that's the closest I've been able to do with like actually, you know, playing and it's just sending them There's, a recording there, for them to play with.
2: Yeah, I think jazz is is, is kind of harder, but um, one thing that that's useful in the online lessons um, is you can record a version of like, let's just say you're playing guitar, you can record a version of you accompanying someone and send the student the video and mm-hmm. then they can play along with that. um right doing it in live time like nick said there's latency issues but i i I guess this is more popular on like the classical field but there's hundreds of videos of a professional clarinetist playing a duet and they play one part and you download the video and you can play the second part and you're still hearing their intonation um, their tone quality their articulation all these things Um, so it works well for that Jazz is a little harder, right? Because you need to interact with the person in real time, um, which makes it more difficult uh, to do these kind of over the air lessons.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I just, it goes back to, I think, being more prepared than usual, you know, that you have yeah. to, like, if you, like Alan said, if you have a recording of the duet you want to do and send it, that's, you know, you can get a lot more done in the lesson. But you just have to think ahead and usually, uh, at least for me i don't always get that far ahead because i'm trying to you know balance a million right. things just like we all are so but yeah that's interesting i uh, hopefully someday we'll get to a zero latency thing so we can or actually it'd be better if we could just get back to seeing people seeing each other yeah right <laughs> yeah i mean right?
3: yeah i i would i would like to just speak up for the for the in-person lesson a little bit. I mean, (laughs) like, like just, just reflecting on my development, like when I was in elementary, middle, high school, I just remember for a lot of my private lessons being like, like afraid. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And I think that's important to be afraid. Um, uh, like you know, and and a lot of the a lot of my fear was just like facing the teacher in person, mm-hmm. and and I think there's something about like confronting adults and like looking them in the face and like owning up to mistakes or if you haven't practiced or something. Absolutely. And I think, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that kind of like stress and that fear is important. Um, and al- although I think the the online thing. There, I do agree with Andy with, like, a certain comfortability is nice, but I, I also think that it's important for, like, students to be put under stress. Um, That's a really good point, yeah. Because, like, you, you can't really chew someone out, like, in person. I'm sorry, online, like like you could. I'm not saying I'd chew out my students, but you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, I think there's yeah. You control in, them online. There's a, there's a place for, for that. I think a lot of students, like, respond to that. Um, kind of tough love and um, I've just had I had some teachers like when I was younger who were really tough and I do think that the kind of like in person thing is is valuable oh, for, for developing sure. confidence and
1: you know learning from from mistakes I'd just like to add to what Will said I mean I think that's a really great point Will and um, you know when I was coming up I had I had some tough teachers um, that perhaps would be considered very tough by today's standards. And, you know, a lot of times I was, I was afraid to go to the lesson, I didn't, especially if I hadn't practiced or I would try to get out of it. And I would feel this anxiety, but um, I always felt that, And I still feel this stronger than never today. Um, you know, in terms of overcoming one's fear, just in a general sense, I think if you voluntarily confront your fear, whatever it is, doesn't mean that that fear is going to go away. It doesn't mean that scary things are going to go away after you do this for a long time. But what it does mean is you will develop courage and you'll be able to fortify yourself. You'll be braver to confront this fear. Um, but there will always be fear, there will always be chaos in life, in my opinion. But if we can develop a courage and a way to approach it where we can still function and ultimately thrive, I think that's a great thing. Um, and I think that's really, really important for students of, of anything. And it also, it's, it's how you get, um, it's how you get to some sort of enlightenment, I think, uh, in general. Um, but I think that's a really good point. You know, like you want to, there's a reason that, that we feel that sort of fear and there's a reason, um, you know, that we feel that anxiety. And, it, and I, I always think it comes down to, okay, there's something we're not really addressing. There's something we're not really attending to. And a deeper, better part of itself, better part of ourselves is trying to, let us know that like say hey you know you're feeling this way because you didn't do what you were supposed to do and you know that on some level so anything that gets us in tune to our deeper sense of self or like you know if you, if you think of the idea of the self as like within you there's this there's this part of yourself that's you know you're chiseling away at it as you develop your character and ultimately you want to connect with the deepest sense of that and that's how you want to represent the world in my opinion um, and I think confronting your fear and just having a way to deal with fear where you approach it, knowing that it'll never go away, uh, but you approach it with something where you can build bravery, confidence, uh, and courage is a great thing. And I think it's more than ever vital to instill that in our students. So thank you for bringing that point up. So- yeah, yeah,
3: I, I, I totally agree. And I, th- I think that well, maybe as music teachers giving, uh, like instructing people in person I think a lot of what they we're teaching them is not actually music, but we don't really realize it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is self-confidence and, um, work ethic and all these other like kind of basic, um, skills that don't necessarily apply to music. Um, so amen to Andy's, uh, speech.
1: Likewise. Thanks.
3: Likewise.
5: <laughs> for, for you guys what have you um because i think in, in some weird way we've always like kind of worked from home you know whether it's practicing at home or writing at home or, or taking care of business at home or whatnot um what things have you found during this or tips do you have for other people because i know a lot of people are struggling with like motivation or or how easily it can be to get distracted at home you know and I know personally for me, there's like certain things I've, I've learned to do to kind of like switch the mindset so that I know like when I'm at home and I'm just doing like I'm just at home or when I'm at home and I'm having to do work. So what have you guys done to uh, work on that or, or was that something that was difficult for you or it's just like casual or?
4: I, I keep my phone outside of my music room. Phone does not go in the music room except for right now. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's a great
1: idea. I got to do that.
4: Yeah,
1: uh, that that's the biggest that's time sink for me. That's a great idea, man. Thank
3: you. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm not actually necessarily going to do that, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do agree with that sensibility.
0: Yeah, I don't know. If I um, yeah, it does feel like mostly the same, except for having to teach online. Like, you know, I've uh, you know, as we all it's. I don't know. I'm not speaking very well this morning, but uh, we spend a lot of time at home, and uh, I don't know. You just have to. It doesn't feel any different to me. It's like the same sort of self motivation I've always had to have. I think you'd have to have some of that if you're a musician because you have to sit in a room, whether it's a home room or a school practice room or whatever, and get on yourself and face yourself every day. So I think you know we have a kind of a maybe not unique, but you know we have a perspective of that being alone with yourself and making sure that you're putting in the time every day, like as part of our past already. So it's kind of maybe helps us now when that's, that's just reality for everybody.
3: Yeah. I think to, to answer to, to Alan, I think, I think for me just um, like making little goals is always good. Um, yeah. I've never been the like the, the most like motivated person if I don't have any deadlines or goals. Um, so I think, yeah, whether it be like, okay, this gig that I have in two weeks, like I'm going to learn two new tunes and I'm going to write an original tune and we're going to have a rehearsal or something like that. Or like, I'm going to transcribe this solo by this date or something. So I think just making little goals like that, at least for me, work well.
0: Great. Well, I I don't want to take up too much of everyone's time. I appreciate everybody being here and offering, you know, what they, what they had to offer some great conversation today, but um, I want to go around. We'll just quickly one last time and let everybody kind of share where people can connect with you, what they can look for from you during this time, if you're about to release something. So um, let's start with Nicholas.
4: Yeah. um, You can find me on Instagram at Nicholas underscore Prolac. Um, my podcast is on Spotify and Apple music and Stitcher. Uh, it's called voice equals power podcast with that equal sign. Uh, my album of the same name voice equals power will be out in May 22nd with a single out on April 14th. Uh, that will be on all the things and, uh, yeah, hope to hear from you all. Thanks for having us, Nick.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, will, Pete, um, Sure, I'll go first. I'll let Pete talk about our album on Inside Out Music, but um, I just wanted to mention my my brother and I are also doing a um, a Facebook Live uh, performance class um, this coming Thursday at seven p.m. Cool. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of it's through Scranton University because we were scheduled to um visit and perform for them Uh, so it's going to be for the scranton students but also open to the public on facebook Um, so that's something that we're doing but we we have a website it's peterwillanderson.com
0: great
2: pete yeah um what what he said um uh we've got a release coming out on outside and music which is it's just great label and great community that we're thankful that Nick uh, is running. Um, our album coming out midway through this month is called Featuring Jimmy Cobb with original music and some standards. Um, yeah, just um, keep following um, us, uh, peterandwillanderson.com, but also just keep following what outside music is. This is that Nick,
1: because they're all great.
0: Thanks, Pete. And Andy?
1: Okay, right, well, once again, um, thank you so much, Nick. Uh, thanks for hosting this wonderful podcast. I love it, it's great. Alan, Nicholas, Will, Peter, it's great to see all you and meet you all in person. Um, and once again, um, I'm Andy Bianco, professional performing guitarist and composer. My record, NYC Stories on Next Level, which came out on February 7th, is available um, on all streaming platforms and you can get the hard copy CD from me. You can find me on Instagram at BiancoAndy. And on Facebook at Andy Bianco and Andy Bianco Music. Um, I may be releasing some um, solo guitar stuff uh, on Instagram soon. But for now, my main thing is promoting my record and trying to you know, get my gigs that were canceled uh, moved to a later date. So once again, all the best to all of you. And um, good luck to everyone through this time. So thank you.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Appreciate it, Ellen, I appreciate you being here as well. Do you have anything you want to plug?
5: Um, no, I mean, not really. I'm taking this time to, to shed my finale uh, font libraries and chords and finally get all that stuff together. So, you know, really exciting, nerdy things there. That, uh, <laughs> Amazing. You got to do. You just got to take care of.
0: Definitely. Well, thank you all again. And uh, we will... See you all again soon, I hope, and stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, see you next time.